0: This is Teachers Talk Radio, and you are listening live. Good
1: morning, everybody. It is uh, Flora Cooper with the Saturday Brunch Show this morning. It is great to have you all here talking today about play. We have got guests, uh, Anthony McGinley. And Mike Fairclough, both head teachers, who are here to talk about the importance of this play. Is teachers Talk
0: Radio, and you are listening live. Tune in live at ttradio.org, or to join in the conversation, download the Podbean app and search Teachers Talk Radio. Follow the hashtag TTRadio. Tune in, talk it out with Teachers Talk Radio.
1: good morning again it is great to be back after a little bit of a break um it's been easter and it seems so far away already um i don't know about any of you but anyone who has been back at school this week or started back on tuesday if you had an inset on monday which we did it seems like this has been one of the longest weeks ever. I don't know why. <laughs> so today, I'm really, really excited because this is about a topic that is really dear to my heart and I know all those in primary education, um, in early years especially, play is fundamental to children's learning. So today we're gonna be talking about play talking about the importance of play and figuring out why we sometimes see play in maybe key stage two, in secondary school, um, in, you know, when we get as adults, that play is seen as something that's not important, something that is not necessary anymore. And I think today, our speakers um, are hopefully going to clarify why play is so important. And I'm really looking forward to talking to uh, both Anthony and Mike sort of about what play looks like in their school, but why You know, why in society do we have this view that play, when we hit even key stage two, when we are talking about children of eight, nine, 10, 11, that play is seen as not necessary. Hopefully, you don't see that in school. Hopefully, play is absolutely pivotal to everything that you are doing in your school and primary school. But the other thing that I really want to consider is secondary school. Is play seen in secondary schools? Are we seeing play more as a approach perhaps in teaching and learning? Um, and maybe, maybe the question is, maybe we're using the wrong word. Maybe it's about practical learning, hands-on learning. And perhaps it's that shift between play and actually looking at learning as that hands-on approach. So I think I have, Anthony McGinney on now. Let me see. Welcome, Anthony. Is that you?
2: It is. Yeah. Hi, you're all right.
1: I'm great. Um, How are you doing?
2: Yeah, good. Thank you.
1: Excellent. So I was hoping that I could just get you to introduce yourself really quickly for our listeners.
2: Yeah, so um, I'm Anthony Magini, um, head teacher at Galley Hill Primary School um, in Gisborough, just outside Middlesbrough. Um, so yeah, and uh, yeah, play, play is uh, one of the things we've kind of been focused on really um, for the past couple of years. So it's my third year um, as head teacher um, at Galley Hill, and um, we've had a big push on it for the past year and a half, really.
1: Excellent. So what does play look like then in your school?
2: Yeah, um, it's a good question, isn't it? Because I think um, play is one of those things where it, we're trying to kind of reclaim what it means. Um, it's about kind of exploring, experimenting, um, having a look at all those different types of play as well. So w- what do we mean by play? It's not just kind of um, going outside and messing around. It's about exploring. It's about kind of that self-regulation. Um, it's about looking at all the different types of play and, and the benefits of play as well. Um, so it's that confidence building. It's that exploration. It's experiential. Um, and we're not kind of limiting ourselves um, to whatever it is that we're doing. We're trying to be creative and be, develop things I think we live in a world where we kind of have devices we have technology which are fantastic and how can we use that to um, develop play as well because concentration levels probably aren't the same as they used to be so how do we make sure that people can concentrate and explore um, with everything that we're doing and so here's a cardboard box what can you do with a cardboard box here's a bit of wood what can you go and create with this rather than having lots of different things so yeah we're just trying to keep evolving what play is and how we kind of keep exploring and experimenting um, and try and link it to that self-regulation as well how, how can we kind of overcome those fears how can we overcome those problems um, and it all links in um, but I think the big thing is play just taking ownership of the word play because um, I know you were just talking there about do we need to call it something else and I think that's the issue, is, issue isn't it when, when people say play um, some people might think oh, they're just messing around there's no learning benefits to it but actually there's so much potential um, and it's just understanding what that potential is um, and reclaiming reclaiming that word I think
1: Yeah, I think it's so much in the terminology that we use, isn't it? Because I think a lot of people, when they heard the word play, they think, oh, you know, we don't play or play isn't linked with learning. So how do you approach that with your teachers in your school? I mean, I'm sure you've got the ethos and culture already, you know, down in school. But how would you approach it with teachers who were adverse to that word play?
2: Yeah, I mean, we, we've kind of taken an approach where we started off with playtimes and lunch times, um and tried to kind of explore what that was. So um, we, we signed up to Opal uh, just when we came back after after COVID um, and we came back full-time because the benefits of play, we thought uh, there's been kind of um, this, this crisis, children are going to come back in, in a kind of crisis mode. How do we make them um, get back into school so they can self-regulate, so they can get part of it? And, and that's been our drive, really, using play to get them back on board. So staff so kind of got on board, it's uh, playtimes times and lunch times at 20% of the day, so um, we signed up to Opal and we've got Ingrid, who is our fantastic mentor, um, to make sure that we kind of put that at the centre of everything that we do, um, and that's been our driving force to the point where we're now looking at the wider curriculum um, and saying, right, okay, so EYFS has got it bang on, um, how do we make sure that that then follows through into Key Stage 1? So we talk about continuous provision, but actually what does that mean into Key Stage 1 and then into Key Stage 2? Um, so we kind of sit down with subject leads, we sit down with teachers. Um, In this summer term, we just kind of refine it. And I think you're constantly just refining whatever it is to um, the children that you've got in the cohorts that you've got in school at that moment in time. And the biggest thing we saw was, um, like you were saying, key stage two children uh, love play as much as the key stage one and early years children. They they just need that to kind of develop, to communicate, to work together, to collaborate. um, And that's what we've seen. So, yeah, we've not really had um, any too much kind of challenge to it, really. We just kind of keep on going. Um, and teachers are all on board because they can see the benefits of it um, as well as the wider community as well. Parents have commented on the play times and lunch times and how the children are thoroughly enjoying it. There's um, not as many kind of um, low-level behaviour things. It, there aren't any cuts and scrapes. Don't happen either because um, children are more resilient they know where their limits are as well because um, they can explore it in that safe environment. So yeah, all in all, um, he says touching wood, um, it, it's working really, really well um, and the children are gaining more confidence and it's like everything is the more confidence the children get, the more of an expert they become, um, the, the kind of more challenging um, activities and things that they can do um, through play.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And so you talk a lot about lunch times and playtimes. And I think, yeah. you know, we know that children play at times and playtimes, but so many schools don't really take advantage of that play time because i see you know even at at my school sometimes we we don't really think about what can we give the children to stimulate their play even more um what opportunities can we provide the children so i i love hearing sort of about how play is in your school and then you talk about things like self-regulation and that the children having to cooperate and collaborate with each other so how are those skills then transferred into the classroom. What do you see from that?
2: Yeah, and that was a that's the important bit, isn't it? It's it's all right talking about these wonderful things at play time and lunchtime. But actually then when they get into the classroom, they're ready to learn. I think I think that's the big thing, isn't it? It's how do they express themselves, how do they communicate outside of it, but then when they get back into the classroom, it's that confidence, it's that working together Um, it's that kind of like when they're having those discussions around a piece of work, when they're having those discussions around um, if it's an English text, can they now kind of act it out and um, do the drama alongside it? When it comes to the singing lessons, um, how do they then kind of project the voice? How do they perform it? And it all kind of encompasses um, under under one, really. So I think they both kind of complement each other. So you've got players to build that confidence um, and that kind of resilience and everything, but also the work that you do alongside it. Um, within within the classroom um, complements it as well so I don't think you can do one without the other, I think they all kind of um, do complement each other but w- one thing we saw was that children got engaged with it, they weren't kind of coming into lessons not ready to learn, they weren't um, trying to kind of like do something else they thoroughly enjoy the play times, they, they get back into the lessons and, and they're straight on with um, everything that they were doing and that was our big drive I suppose um, that, that we wanted because children have been in and out of school for two years and we wanted to make sure that we could facilitate Whatever um, the children were coming back into because it was that um, unknown, wasn't it? Really, we wanted to make sure that we put the kind of um, well being side of it first, and to do that, to play was that driver. Um, and it's like everything, it's, it's not perfect yet, we've still got things to do, um, and hence that curriculum side of it that we're going to have in that focus on now. So, we've, we've got the play times and lunch times, but then what does that mean um, for a maths lesson? What does it mean for um, an English lesson? What does it mean for a history lesson? Without it being that token gesture, um, it's how does it kind of underlie. Throughout everything that you're doing um and that's kind of what, what we're just kind of wrestling with at the minute because we don't want that kind of like one-off lesson we want it to be part of everything that we do and just be really crystal clear with, with what that means in that wider curriculum um but yeah the main thing that we see is children engaged um children wanting to learn um, and then ready for whatever it is that they're coming up so when there is a problem that they're ready to overcome whatever that might be
1: yeah, that's so important and and absolutely what you were saying about children being engaged when they come into the classroom because they've you know they've had that play they've had that time to have that release and be able to come back into the classroom ready prepared ready to learn. So what would you say then to schools? So I know a lot of schools we buy resources for lunchtimes, perhaps um, yeah. you know balls, rackets, skipping ropes
3: and very
1: quickly they get lost what would you suggest what what kind of advice would you give to schools about how to initiate really good quality play at break
2: times um think of it like you would do any other subject um so it's part of our school development plan um we've kind of got a plan for what we're going to do map out in terms of budget in terms of staffing in terms of um, planning Um, getting a calendar, mapping out what you're going to do, what resources you're going to need, what are the outcomes of it, um, thinking about the different play types. Um, So yes, we've got things like balls, we've got things like rackets, we've got things like um, tarpaulin. It's that creativity side, trying to think of, right, so do we have different areas for creative play? Do we have different areas for um, symbolic play, communication play? What what do we want out of playtime? Uh, and get into that kind of nitty gritty um we just bought some uh, quite large um like Everblock bricks which are like quite um large lego blocks and to try and kind of just create that next little bit and just thinking right so what are we focused on this this term that that kind of social play the dramatic play um to, to try and kind of do that so yeah think of it as you would do any other subject how do you want to, how do you see it planning over the year three years um, what budget do you need for it what what staff development do you need for it um, have, a, have a strong leader um, pushing it and developing it as well um, as you would do with any other subject. Um, and that's been our driving force, putting play, so lunch times and play times is, is the same as any other subject within school, uh, make sure you've got a clear plan um, and clear outcomes.
1: Yeah, I love that. So I think play, not play, but play times themselves are very often seen as it's break time. It's time for everyone to have a break and I love how you say it's about planning for it, of course. Why wouldn't we plan for our lunch times yeah. and our break times?
2: Yeah, um, yeah, definitely. And I think every school's got their own kind of um, demographics of children, and you know what their needs are and what, what, they, what they need for their playtimes. times. Um, which is why I think it's knowing isn't it your own school your own setting your own area um, and what what's going to engage them um, and I think pupil voice is great on this um, I know lots of schools have things like play leaders in there but it's just trying to kind of use them as the instigators as to right okay so what equipment do we need next what would be good games to engage so um, we've just bought lots of skipping ropes again um, and, and reintroduced skipping uh, as as it sounds it, it's just going back to those basic skills of what do we need to do? Um, but the, the main thing is getting the staff involved as well. So they're not just stood watching. Um, they're actually facilitating and, and modelling like you would do in, in a normal lesson as well. What those games are and what those skills are.
1: Yeah, that's that's really
2: important. Um,
1: yeah, so schools out there listening, you need to plan for play times. You need to plan for break times. And it needs to be a part of that wider plan. So. We talk about play all the time when we talk about early years. So what do you think about secondary schools and and what kind of advice would you give to secondary schools? Because we often, as children get older and as we become adults, it's almost as if play is seen as something you shouldn't be doing. Stop playing, you know, stop being silly. Um, How do we change that? sort of
2: connotation of play? Yeah it, it's a good question isn't it I think it comes back down to um, what you think the definition of play is again um, and how you kind of define it so if, if we're saying it's about choosing your own direction it's about exploration experimentation um, and imitating of that surrounding then we do it as adults as well I, I think one thing that we probably don't do enough of is just talking about actually play is not just for Um, young children it's for everyone so if you're doing something and and you've got a new um, skill or you're trying to do something it's being playful with it isn't it it's how do we kind of get that word to make sure that it's across the whole um, part of everyone's life stage not just a a younger child thing so when it comes to secondary the same right so actually we want people to be um, have lots of experiences to experiment with things so let's just figure out what that means at that stage of life Um, I think I think that's probably the easiest way of, of thinking about it
1: yeah, I like that. I really like that. And again, it's going back to that whole term play and changing our perceptions of it, changing the terminology and changing people's view of what play actually means and what it entails. Have you seen a increase um, after COVID of children who've almost been deprived of play?
2: Yeah, I think that's the big thing, isn't it? That, that, that was my big thing for, for the push of play. I've always been in, in, interested in creativity and in inquiry based learning. Um, but for me, just the reading around play and the benefits of play and what play therapy means and the benefits of everything around that um, just kind of made us push for um, wanting that play because children had been inside. Um, quite a lot of children were either on uh, working on, on, with pen and paper or staring at a screen for remote learning, uh, might not have had that same. Um, experience the play that they would do and it's that communication thing again isn't it we, we learn through communication we learn through play we learn through that kind of like group side of it very rarely do we sit by ourselves unless it's an academic thing and, and we're reading things um, but you still need to have that discussion afterwards uh, so you can say right okay is this right is it not right what, what am i what am i getting from this and um it, it it's that thing isn't it what have children been doing for the past two years have the been having the same experience experiences um one thing that i generally talk about is um when we're younger um we used to come in um when when the street lights came on um and then we'd all that that's what time it was didn't matter what time it was when the street lights were on that's when we knew knew we had to go back home um and it's trying to make sure children have those experiences isn't it in terms of what can we do to um safely give them environments where they can challenge themselves and push themselves um and model it but yeah the, the pandemic over the past two years the children might not have had those same experiences to what to play uh, mainly because of working with peers uh, and and that discussion around it as well um also i mean speaking to people that anecdotally the, the kind of playground scenario uh, there's lots of people that i've been speaking to recently about how can we um, get play in the community further as well um, so there's lots of people uh, like emma beeman who have got like, things like play boxes which are um, uh, shipping containers, uh, which she, she moves around Leeds. So, it, it's how do we bring that play to that wider community? So, it, if children can't access it at, at the local park or something else, it's within that town centre and it, you've got the things there to then help parents um, understand what you can do with play, what you can do with pay, what you can do with the hula hoop, and just kind of um, educate everyone all together around what you can do around play.
1: That's so important. I love that. And it is, it's about teaching parents as well about what play looks like. Um, and giving them those ideas and strategies, and I think that's something that a lot of schools could take is is that whole sort of training of the community. That's really really exciting.
2: Yeah, definitely. Uh, and I think it's it's uh, yeah. So, sorry, it's uh, something which again I think inviting parents into what playtimes look like, so they understand uh, what what it is that you're doing at a playtime. Why we use um, wheeled areas. Why we use that paint. Why we use that mud. Um, one thing we did was uh, wellies became part of our um, Uniform, um, so that we could go on the fields whenever, so it's not just a summer thing, it's an all round thing. It's about the respect of um, what we're wearing, making sure we're not getting things muddy, making sure we respect school when we come back in, so we're not trips in mud through, um, and, and knowing where, where the boundaries are. So it's great to jump in a big muddy puddle, but make sure it's a big muddy puddle that's not going to get you uh, covered in mud unless you've got a waterproof on and the right equipment. So it, it, it's that kind of self awareness as well through everything. We're not just saying, right, here's some play go off and do lots of different things. We're actually saying you're responsible for your play um, and we trust you. And it's that two-way thing of uh, things like climbing trees. We'll have the discussion. uh, So we have play assemblies um, on on a Wednesday. So if we're introducing something new, we'll create the rules together. So how high up this tree can we climb? Because it's brand new. So we don't want to go into the top because um, it's a brand new skill. So actually we can only climb so high. Um, how, how can we climb onto it? How can we climb off it? What's appropriate? What's not? Uh, we create those rules so everyone knows what they are um, and we incrementally um, add new things. So I think that's important as well. It's not a, a free for all. Um, it's a well thought out planned um, activity where we'll introduce something new every two weeks. Um, we'll talk through those things. We'll go back over the rules for something else that might have been there for a little while, just in case people forgot what they are. Um, just write them down on chalkboards outside so they can see exactly what they are. Um, And that stops uh, quite a lot of it as well so yeah i love play
1: (laughs) (laughs) i can tell it's great so well thought out planned you're taking risks and i think this is sometimes the crux of it is that schools sometimes are afraid to take those risks but what you're talking about is almost planned calculated risks the kind of risks that what you're talking about is all this learning that's coming from it um, for the children, they're, they're understanding their responsibility within it. They're understanding the risks they can take, thinking about climbing a tree, how high can we climb before we're going to really, really hurt ourselves? So I love that. it's It's about taking risks. So what advice would you give to schools? in this sort of culture we're in at the moment where risk taking is almost no one wants to take a risk what advice would you give uh
2: terminology i think i think it is the the words that we use around it so um again th- through the sport of opal we kind of changed our um thinking around what it was so we talk about risk assessments all the time in school in terms of what can we do what can't we do um there's a history of uh, and this kind of um, thoughts around what we can and what we can't do in schools but actually as soon as you start saying right let's talk about risk benefits instead so we risk benefit everything there's always a risk to everything that we do but actually the benefits are x y and z so climbing a tree it's about understanding where our limits are it's about understanding um, our self-development those fine and gross more skills that um, what, what are we saying are the benefits of climbing that tree and what are the risks well if we climb too high we could fall out and we could hurt ourselves um how are we getting on that tree is it a tree that's climbable so we talk about risk benefits instead and I think as soon as you change that narrative from risk assessing where you're looking for all the kind of what could go wrong to risk benefits you're still looking for all of those things there that that might be a risk but actually these are the benefits that we're going to do that we're going to get from doing this activity um and that's really helped our kind of narrative and discussion around everything that we're doing um and, and just discussing it with the community as well so with the, with the staff, with the families, um, and just saying, right, okay, this is our approach that we're going to be taking, um, and this is why, and this is how we're going to be doing it, um, and just making it really clear that communication side of it all is really important so that everyone feels comfortable because it is different, so we, so we don't say no to anything. So if the child suggests something, it's like, right, okay, let's see if it's achievable or if it's not, let's talk about that risk-benefit side of it, um, and we'll talk it through rather than it being a, a definite No we'll see what we can get out of it or what we can achieve towards whatever it is that they want to do.
1: I love that. We don't say no to anything. And that's absolutely it because if a child comes with an idea, how can we say no? It's about them learning, actually, let's put a plan together. Let's see if we can achieve it. What can we do to achieve what you want to do? I love that. I'd love to come visit your school. It sounds fantastic. (laughs) I love it. Can you give us just an example then so you've got play in your early years in key stage one and key stage two how might it look different in learning context in an early years classroom to let's say your year six class
2: yeah um i i don't think it does in all honesty i think that it we've got a curriculum that we've got to do so the content in terms of the, the knowledge and the skills uh, will be there but i think the way that you get into the play um is is kind of the same i think it's that magical side isn't it of sometimes we overcomplicate things um because we think the older they are the older we are the, the more complicated that access and um, accessibility to that learning or that thing needs to be but actually if you put an object in a room and say right let's see what you can do with that um there's many team building exercises that i'm sure many uh, multi-billion pound corporations uh, probably do uh, once a year of Let's go build a raft let's go do this it's the same stuff um, that we're doing in primary school and and secondary schools it, it, the, i don't think there's anything more complicated to it it's just sitting down and planning through what it is that we want to achieve what's that end goal and how do we want to get there um and again i think if you put a cardboard box in front of a two-year-old you put a cardboard box in front of a 50 year old they're going to come up with different things uh, but that's just because of life experiences and, and that's i think how we approach play um, from eyfs to year six they're going to have the same things, but they're going to come out with different outcomes because of age, experience, um, and the curriculum that you've got to them um, that, we, that we're teaching those children. So I, I don't think there is a different approach as such. Um, some of the terminology might be different, some of the accessibility whatever it is, but it's the same kind of approach throughout.
1: That's amazing. And I love that that's how you answered is there is no difference. It's the outcome that's different and the opportunities and the experiences that you provide the children are exactly the same, which it should be. It should be. And we've talked a lot about the terminology and that actually maybe it's that whole word of play that people just say, Oh, you know, and it's about thinking about how do we approach this in schools to make sure that it becomes a part of the ethos of every school, because we know it is pivotal to children's learning. Um, and it mm-hmm. is about almost thinking about changing the word play. Yeah.
2: But you don't yeah. want it's, to. It's, 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 <laughs> yeah, yeah, I mean, it, it, it's that thing of play. So if you think about play times and lunch times, well, lunch time is you go and grab some lunch and then we, we all know in, in a school, they're desperate to finish the lunch so they can go outside and play. Why? Because it's that release of energy. So if we can, and, and they want to go outside, they want to do that. So if we can then incorporate that into the day-to-day or everything that they're doing, then that's kind of, you're in a win-win situation because we know children love playing. We know children love learning and exploring if it's done in the right way. So how can we just grab that, that kind of passion there um, and put it into something where they can channel it into their learning rather than um, just not, not learning? So I, I think it is, it's just understanding what you mean by play. And it's that release of energy, it's that inquiry, it's that inquisitiveness um, with all the skills that we want them to be learning as well and not thinking it's this, it's this thing for younger children. For for me, it's reclaiming the word play and what do we mean by play and making sure that it's not, um, it's not seen as as a waste of time or they're just doing something different because we're learning all the time when we're playing
1: yeah absolutely and that's it we are learning all the time when we're playing and it's all those skills you've been talking about you know the collaboration the inquisitiveness the um, understanding how to plan something and when something fails actually changing and adapting what you're doing to try and achieve what you're going for i love it it's fantastic and for me it's really hard to talk about play without talking about ken robinson and he said that play is fundamental to human flourishing. And you used to talk about how play is, is fundamental to creativity. What would yeah. you say to schools and leaders about that?
2: Yeah, definitely. I, th- I think play does, doesn't it? It builds that imagination, that creativity. Um, to create that kind of like the make-believe games that we see them do in the playtime, um, creating the, the kind of like little worlds, um, acting out different solutions, whatever it might be. I think it, it is important to create their own rules, to learn how to adapt. It, it's that kind of, it's that playfulness to experiment what life is. Um, I think that's what play is. It, it's, it's, it's not the kind of like day-to-day stuff, of, of right, this is dead serious, we've got to concentrate on this, which we need to focus on. But actually it lets them understand how they kind of navigate through life. How they kind of develop that relationships, uh, those relationships with others and peers. Um, and, and they can kind of uh, do different things um, in a kind of different world as such through that player. And that imagination and creativity is really, really important. But, but yeah, um, the quote's spot on for me, definitely.
1: Yeah, it's fantastic. Oh, wow. I could talk about this all day. I love it. <laughs> um, your school sounds absolutely fantastic um and i just cannot thank you enough for coming on this morning on a saturday morning to talk about play and what it looks like in your school and why it's fundamental to schools everywhere and to children what would you say as well final thing for adults we know that as adults we become serious (laughs) we lose our playfulness how can adults adopt play a little bit more in their day-to-day lives
2: yeah I I think it comes back (laughs) to that kind of um it's tricky isn't it it's it's trying to let go a little bit and just exploring as many different things as you can do and trying not to worry too much about it's like getting it wrong thing isn't it it's like don't worry about getting it wrong we're all learning we're all trying different things and just trying to let go a little bit at times isn't it and just trying to think of right okay so we're trying to think of what play means and the benefits of it Um, it, it, I think it's getting involved especially if we work in a school, we've got that lucky privilege of we can go and work with the children outside at playtime or lunchtime or part of the curriculum um, and take part of that kind of you can hear the giggles, you can hear the laughter, you can see the smiles on, on staff's faces and all of a sudden it's that wellbeing, it's that emotional side of it, you kind of you can see straight away. There's a difference in, in staff as soon as they're getting involved with the um, with the skipping or with the building something or with. The, and you can hear and see what the children are doing as well. I think it's working collaboratively, and uh, that's what it comes down to. Again, it's not just observing; it's getting involved. It's putting yourself w- within that kind of play. Um, even if it's in a workplace, it's it's working collaboratively to do something. We all know that if we if we chat something through or try something different. Um, if we're doing it with other people we feel safer and more confident if you do it by yourself you're always worrying if it's the right thing or if it's not the right thing but but you'll be playing when you're doing it when you're working together and when when you're solving that problem you'll be trying different things and it's just trying to understand that there's more than one different type of play it's not just going to the park around the corner and going on the swings and the slide it's about that kind of trying things out um, the symbolic play um, and and trying to think of right okay so we're all doing this no matter what age we are um, and just understanding that play side
1: Yeah. And it is laughter, isn't it? It's that whole thing you just said about we are so aware as adults of what we should be doing or what other people are thinking about us. And it is being together, laughing and yeah, just thinking outside of the box and letting loose. (laughs) I think if we were all a bit more playful as adults, we would be a lot younger and stay young for (laughs) a lot longer.
2: (laughs) Yeah. And I wouldn't have as many brown hands. Definitely. Yeah,
1: exactly. There we (laughs) go. So there you go. Play and stay young. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, thank you so much for being on the show today and for being a part of this on a Saturday morning. It has been an absolute delight talking to you and I've loved hearing about your school um thank you so much and I hope yeah maybe I get to come visit
2: yeah more than more than welcome anytime yeah definitely just that would be amazing More than welcome anytime oh wonderful all right yeah, well I'll definitely
1: much. be in touch thank you so much for being a part of the show this morning and have a great rest of your day
2: you too take care thank you very Thanks. much
1: take care all right so that was Anthony uh, Fantastic um talking about the power of play talking about what play looks like across a school and why play is fundamental but also thinking about risk um, i think this is schools we need to think about a lot more about taking risks and thinking about how do we plan for risk um, he talked a lot about you know those risk assessments how are we going to risk assess the risks that we want to take? How are we going to ensure that children are given these opportunities for play, these opportunities and experiences they need to develop that resilience, that um, level of inquiry, inquisitiveness, and that ability to collaborate with others and to work towards a shared goal and outcome? And I love also how Anthony talked about that play the, the sort of the um, initial start of play is no different in EYFS, in Key Stage 1 or Key Stage 2. Play is the same, but the it's the outcome that's different. And I love that because it shows that they've got the same experience. They're given the same opportunities. And that is fantastic. Those children are so, so lucky in school. I love it. All right, I'm going to now um, lead into the um, weekend news with uh, Gail Glenn, and also we are going to hear from our sponsors who make TDR possible. Here you go.
4: Imagine a world where you were free to focus on sparking curiosity in your students and giving them access to the awe and wonder of learning. A world where you were supported to deliver a truly personalized education to help all your learners achieve their potential. No need to imagine it because that's exactly what the Oxford Smart Curriculum Service delivers. Seamlessly integrating curriculum, resources, assessment, next steps and professional development every component of oxford smart is connected and working to provide you with a uniquely coherent and responsive service that empowers you and your students with transformational effect the oxford smart curriculum service when everything connects anything is possible
0: introducing bulb with evidence-based learning at the forefront of education Let Bulb Digital Portfolios help reshape your educational practice. Bulb helps teachers teach and learners learn. Bulb is an easy-to-use, fully accessible digital platform that captures students' digital learning assets in one place, allowing them to evidence their learning and reflect on their growth. Our dedicated team of education specialists are on hand to ensure that Bulb fits seamlessly into all of your teaching practices. Come take a look and get a free account at bulbapp.com.
3: If you're listening to this, then we know we share one thing in common, a passion for the type of outstanding education that every child deserves. That's what makes us the leading provider of specialist education and care. We need people like you to help us achieve even more. With us, you'll be given all the resources and support you need, offered a clear path to career progression and be rewarded with some of the best salaries and benefits the industry has to offer. We are Witherslack Group, if you'd like to find out more, we'd love to hear from you. Visit wwwwitherslackgroupcouk forward slash careers and be part of our future.
0: This is Teachers Talk Radio and this is Teachers Talk Radio News with Joe Fox.
5: The NAHT annual conference began on Friday and education in Wales has been put under the spotlight. Leaders in Wales, according to a report in the TES magazine, are calling for the fair funding of all schools. NAHT school leaders are gathering in Telford for this year's conference and it is expected that they will hear calls for school funding to be fit for purpose and ensure transparency and equity for all in Wales. There have also been concerns expressed about spiralling costs which threaten to swallow up existing budgets. The four key areas being focused on are teachers pay awards, greater clarity on the new curriculum for Wales, investment in training and finally funding for small rural schools. It's likely that the ongoing impact of the pandemic will also be discussed as pressures such as supply costs continue. At the same conference, head teachers working in schools in England criticized Dickensian levels of poverty. Paul Gosling, new president of the NAHT, told leaders that when he first became a head teacher, he had only ever heard of food banks in connection with charities supporting the homeless, but that they now form a vital part of our local community's support. Dr Gosling also highlighted the worrying increase in parents who are struggling with their mental health as they try to make decisions as to whether they can afford to feed their children or pay rising household bills. He linked the recent government white paper to the concept of poverty, saying that the aspirations for the education of young people could not be reached without tackling poverty first. He also commented on the absence of Education Secretary Nadim Zahawi at the conference, and said that this is a sign that he is unable to be here to look in the eye of a group of people who truly understand what it means to be a leader. MP Heather Wheeler writes in a piece for Politics Home that the public and private sector need to harness the enthusiasm of young people. In the article, she outlines plans to ensure that one in 20 civil servants will be an apprentice by 2025 and that opportunities will be spread right across the UK. She also went on to promise that the number of apprentices from less advantaged backgrounds will never dip below 39%, a threshold set by the Social Mobility Commission. The graduation of the son of one of Nigeria's state governors from a university in London has prompted reaction from ordinary Nigerian citizens, according to a report on a news website. Whilst Governor Nazir al-Rufari posted pictures of the event, Many others commented on why the Nigerian politician had not seen fit to educate his child at a Nigerian university, with some even suggesting that there should be a law preventing all civil servants and politicians from sending their children in foreign universities, insisting that this is the only way to improve Nigeria's university system. Others accused the government of playing politics with the educational system in Nigeria. This has been your Teachers Talk Radio weekend news with Joe Fox.
0: This is Two Minute Tech with Steve Woods, your Tech Briefing on Teachers Talk Radio. Hello, this term is known to be one of the hardest.
6: When we're distracted and tired, it's easy to make a mistake and fall for a scam. There are loads of scams out there, but the use of subdomains to give a fake sense of security is one scam that a lot of people fall for. In the interest of keeping you, your family, and your friends safe over the next two episodes, I'm going to explain the fake bank message scan and how it can look so believable. First up, we need to discuss how data travels over the internet. If you explore an internet address, let's take Teachers Talk Radio as our example, HTTPS www.ttradio.com. Org. There are basically four parts. HTTPS, this is Hypertext Transfer Protocol, with the S standing for secure. Protocols are used for data transfer. The HTTP protocol allows the transmission of HTML or Hypertext Markup Language from a web server to your computer. In basic terms, it lets a web page be requested and viewed. The confusion here is the secure version. Some believe that seeing a site is HTTPS and has a little padlock in the address bar means that you are protected. To some extent, this is true, however, the security certificate for a site simply encrypts or scrambles the transmission so if it's intercepted it can't be used. So yes you are secure from interception but if the owner of a website is dishonest you're not safe from them. The next three parts are to do with where the web page resides or the address. Like we need a postcode and house number your computer needs to know where to look for the information you want. www is the world wide web a huge network of interconnected networks. TT radio is the name of the website and .org is the top level domain. Again simplifying this .org domains are kept in a kind of phonebook that can be accessed by your internet service provider. So to find ttradio.org.org tells you to look in the .org phonebook for TT Radio and return where the website is for your browser to download it. Why don't you ask your pupils, family and friends what they believe the padlock and HTTPS means? You may be surprised at the answer you receive. Next time we're going to look at how criminals use this misconception to gain your trust. As always, don't forget to check out the TT Radio 2022 Twitter feed. Tell us what you want to know about tech. I'm
0: Steve Woods, and that was Two Minute Tech. Two Minute Tech with Steve Woods. Your tech briefing on Teachers Talk Radio. This is Teachers Talk Radio, and you are listening live.
1: Brilliant, we are back. And apologies, because I said that was the news with uh, Gail Glenn, it was the wonderful Joe Fox. Um, So in a moment, hopefully, we are gonna be joined by Mike Fairclough, um, also a head teacher, um, who we are just trying to get into the audience now. Hopefully he'll be joining in just a moment i um, having a little bit of issue with uh, the tech at the moment, but we should get it back on track in just a minute. <laughs> so if you've just joined us, we are talking about play. We are talking about the importance of play and why it's so important and the impact that play can have on learning across the school. So, looking at um, looking at play in early years, looking at play in primary, key stage one, key stage two, but then also thinking about the terminology of play, what play means, the connotation behind the word of play, and thinking about play in secondary and thinking about play even as an adult and how we can maybe think about incorporating a bit more play as an adult into our lives. And as Anthony and I said, maybe play a bit more, stay young for longer. (laughs) All right, we are just trying to get uh, Mike Fairclough in now, hopefully Mike. We are gonna get you in. Don't know what's going on. Hello, Mike, are you there? Nope, not yet. Sorry everybody for this bit of a a lull. I will just wait. Hopefully he will figure out how to get in. Um, So talking about play, um, and I am going to just read something from a report that I was looking at, which is all about the importance of play by Dr. David Whitebread from the University of Cambridge. Um, and it is a, a really interesting report. And it talks about the importance of play, but also the consequences of play deprivation. Um, so have a look at it if you can see, which is The Importance of Play, Dr. David Whitebread by the University of Cambridge. And I just wanted to read you just a little bit about it. Um, here we go. So it says, Play is sometimes contrasted with work and characterised as a type of activity which is essentially unimportant. trivial and lacking in any serious purpose, apologies. I'm trying to get uh, Mike Fairclough in as well while I'm reading this. (laughs) As such, it is seen as something that children do because they are immature and as something they will grow out of as they become adults. Um, However, as this report is intended to demonstrate, this view is mistaken. Play in all its rich variety is one of the highest achievements of the human species alongside language culture and technology indeed without play none of these other achievements would be possible the value of play is increasingly recognized by researchers and within the policy arena for adults as well as children as the evidence mounts of its relationship with intellectual achievement and emotional well-being this report however focuses on the value of play it is particularly important time for this to be recognized as modern european societies face increasing challenges including those that are economic social and environmental at the same time the opportunities and support for children's play which is critical to their developments of their abilities they will need as future citizens able to address these challenges, are themselves under threat. This arises from increasing urbanization, from increasing stress in family life, and from changes in educational systems. Within the educational field during recent decades, the importance of high quality early childhood education has been increasingly recognized by the research community and by governments and policymakers throughout europe and worldwide however the nature of high quality in this context has been contested while in some european countries the emphasis continues to be upon providing young children with rich stimulating experiences within a nurturing social context, increasingly in many countries within Europe and across the world, an earlier is better approach has been adopted with an emphasis upon introducing young children at the earliest possible stage to the formal skills of literacy and numeracy. This is inimical to the provision and support for play rich opportunities. What is increasingly recognized within the research and policy communities, however, is that one vital ingredient in supporting healthy, intellectual, emotional, and social development in young children is the provision of opportunities and the support for play. So we're going to continue reading a little bit of this again in a moment. I am going to go back to our sponsors very quickly. So have a listen to our sponsors who make talk, teachers radio happen. And while you're listening to this, hopefully I will be um, able to get Mike Fairclough into the show and we can hear all about play in his school. Here we go.
0: This episode of Teachers Talk Radio has been made possible with support from With Slack Group, the UK's leading provider of SEN education and care. They're here to support you too, through an ever-growing offer of free resources, including webinars, podcasts, This is Teachers Talk Radio, and this is Teachers Talk Radio News.
1: All right, (laughs) welcome back, and I think we now have Mike Fairclough with us joining in. Hello, Mike.
7: Hi, Flora. Can you can you hear me?
1: We can hear you perfectly. Amazing. (laughs) Sorry about that.
7: No, it's cool. To be honest with you uh every time I I I have any sort of like techie kind of thing like this it 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 doesn't necessarily flow with me I think it's probably more to do with me than anything on your side
1: (laughs) don't worry (laughs) do not worry we've got you here and that is all that matters so I'm so so excited to have you on the show Mike could you just really quickly just give us a introduction
7: um, yeah, so my name's Mike. Um, it's actually pronounced Fairclough, um, uh, but I'm that's sorry. called Fairclough. No, that's that's fine. Lots of people make um, that error. And um, I'm the head teacher of West Rise Junior School in Eastbourne in the UK. And I've been the head teacher at the school for 18 years, uh, but within primary education for 25 years and um yeah so it's a cool school actually um it's it's quite well known for our sort of uh innovations which are um kind of linked around well linked around everything that we're going to be talking about today so creativity actually at the root of everything that we do and imagination um lots of outdoor learning we've got um a a, a, it's a state-funded school for um 7 to 11 year olds and I've got 362 kids on roll. But what makes the school kind of unique is we've got 120 acres of um, marshland that we um, that we lease from the local authority, and that's opposite the main school site. And on that ground, we've got um, a herd of water buffalo, lots of sheep. Um, a little bit controversially, we 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 teach our children. Uh, clay pigeon shooting and target practice with um, air rifles and things uh, some of the children learn to um, skin rabbits and pluck uh, pigeons uh, we've got a lake on the school grounds as well for paddle boarding um, and then there's a lot of really deep nature connection as well on the land so yeah just in a nutshell that's 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 me oh I'm, I'm also an author I've got um, uh, an author of uh, two books uh, and then there's a third one coming out soon which I'm really excited about
1: Oh, that sounds exciting. Oh, so you say it's a cool school. And from what I know about you, you sound like one really cool head teacher. Mm-hmm. And I mean, it sounds amazing. I want to come and live at your school, not just Do. be a student there.
7: <laughs> that would be great. Yeah, rock up. I mean, we have people visitors all the time from all over the place. And um, it's always lovely because whenever we have a connection with people, there's, there's always a cross-fertilization of ideas. I'm, I'm, there's never a time when anyone comes where I'm not like, wow, you guys do this or that. And then I'm inspired to uh, kind of take it to the next level. And I think that's what it's all about, really, just connection and sharing of ideas and all of that kind of thing. So, yeah, rock up and, and, and have a look whenever you like.
1: Oh, I'm definitely going to take you up on that. It <laughs> just sounds amazing. I mean, the opportunities and the experiences that you're giving your children are things that a lot of schools would never even consider. And Mm. I was just speaking with Anthony, um, another head teacher, and we were talking about risk and that many schools have stopped taking risk. Yes. But your school sounds like it's all about risk.
7: Yeah. So, so that's quite fundamental actually to play as well. So, um, you know, so, so in 2015, I wrote a book called, playing with fire with the subtitle um uh embracing risk and danger in schools and it was basically on the back of um quite a lot of media exposure we had we we um it was actually so it's interesting so in in 2013 when i first did the um kind of shooting stuff with the kids uh, the daily mail ran um an article which was um uh, really sort of derogatory and um, sort of inflammatory and, and it was like oh you know redneck head teacher takes kids shooting with 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 weapons and you know you sort of had this sort of image of children with m16s and Oozes like shooting rabbits and like squirrels out of trees and stuff and it was totally the opposite it was actually the um, gentleman who taught prince harry and prince william to shoot came and taught um, our children to do the same thing and talk about them about the serious um, consequences of misuse of the firearm and also the need for um, managing the countryside um, as there are no like uh, you know we've killed all of the top predators we're the now the top predator so needing to manage things like rabbits and, and pigeon etc anyway um what they what the male did was actually did us a favor because um the 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 general public came out in support of the school and on the back of that we had like loads and loads of um uh really good media coverage like bbc country file um came across with the lovely john craven um had a really brilliant piece on channel four which had um uh, uh, over 17 million views on Facebook alone. It was really, and right across the world, people were saying, "Oh, yeah, you know, we remember a time in childhood when uh, we were exploring and free and taking risks, etc." And um, and then I was um, contacted um, uh, shortly after that by um, the the head of the Health and Safety Executive. It was the the chair at the time, Dame Judith Hackett, and. Um, uh, and she said look schools th- uh, blame the health and safety executive for um, them not taking risks with their, with their children and she said actually it's the complete opposite there is nothing stopping schools from doing all of the things that you're doing which includes teaching the children to light fires cooking over an open fire using knives um, shooting exploring um, all of, all of the stuff that we do and um, she said, look, let's let's collaborate and let's do um, uh, let's have a kind of a, a expose this in the media um, and and try and get schools on board. So she came across to the school and we had a whole day outside uh, with her with um, BBC News um, following it. And um, the Times came down and they did a piece as well. And um, she went through all of the things that. Um, schools these kind of health and safety myths which schools perpetuate like um you know you're not allowed to play with conkers um you know even like tinsel at christmas is dangerous because it might strangle someone um all sorts of just kind of nonsense stuff and um she was then um filmed with the children shooting sh- with shotguns um uh you know riding on the back of the quad bike with me um uh, the kids were like doing flint napping and stuff because we're also on the um the site of a bronze age settlement, So 3000 years ago, um, on this particular piece of ground, um, some of the children's ancestors would have, um, lived there. And, uh, so we kind of bring that period of history to life by, um, doing things like smelting tin and copper to make bronze and pouring the molten metal into the, um, into molds of arrowheads and things like this. And, um, Anyway, she was filmed doing all of that that stuff and she said, look, it's not um, the health and safety executive or any sort of um, health and safety culture gone mad, which is stopping schools from doing things. It's schools themselves who are choosing to believe the myths which were uh, perpetuated in, in the media. And, um, and she said, and I think it's a bit of... Um, you know, I'm quoting her now, Um, uh, she said, teachers thinking, well, I can't be bothered. (laughs) So um, because it does take a lot of work, you know, you've got to put the risk assessments in place. It's not just kind of just going off and doing a load of mad stuff and hoping no child dies or whatever. You know, you've got to put the work in in terms of risk assessments and all of the things to mitigate against harm, but then exposing children to it. And then you could ask yourself, okay, so what's the point then? Apart from it being maybe enjoyable, Uh, What's the point? And her, uh, uh, her sort of statement and message was, um, unless we expose children to risk and danger when they are young, then when do they learn to manage risk? And um, when they go into the workplace as adults, if they've never been exposed to risks, then they become a liability uh, within the workplace, and it is actually more dangerous. So it's better to give a child a knife, expose them to fire. Um, all of those sorts of things um, at an early age so that they learn to manage risk and then they're not putting themselves in uh, danger later in life when they because they haven't had that kind of exposure so that's that in a nutshell
1: yeah that's amazing and it is about actually schools managing risks and yeah. teaching children about those risks because mm. that is learning
7: yeah I do think that the last, so so. Um, I mean I've been I've got I'm really lucky to work with um, some uh, very very committed um, staff members who head up um, various aspects of the provision which are really good so one uh, example is Helen Stringfellow who's my forest school leader Um, and then the other one is um, Karen Stevens who um, runs our student-led art studio which is totally about creative freedom and autonomy and both of those individuals um throughout the last two years including um all of the lockdowns when i mean it during during lockdown we'd have about 150 Children in the physical building and about thirty members of staff in between lockdowns three hundred and sixty two kids and sixty five members of staff so you know there's never been a time throughout the pandemic when we 've not been in large groups of people but um, anyway, my point being that um, they were really committed to making sure that children were still going outside and doing forest school and still accessing room thirteen and having all of those um, rich um, uh, learning experiences but um, circ- circling that really amazing commitment and the children doing all of those brilliant things was a, um, uh, an incredibly risk-averse um, culture and narrative, which was coming from lots and lots of different directions. So I think schools um, have been in a, in a very difficult position and, and certainly over the last two years, certainly not been encouraged to, um, uh, to be particularly uh, risk uh, taking, although certainly innovative, because heads and teachers have had to be really, really innovative at, the, at very short notice when when certain things have been required of us uh, throughout the pandemic. But yeah, I, I think it's um, it I, it would be unfair to lay the blame completely at the the feet of um, uh, colleagues within within the sector. Um, uh, but I think it's definitely time now to to move beyond that kind of risk averse mentality and and really embrace the idea of um of of risk and danger calculated risk and danger in schools
1: yeah and that's what it is it's the calculated risk and danger in school and you talked about covid and and Mm. all of us thrown into lockdown and yeah schools locked down and play and almost we were put into bubbles and all Mm. these experiences were almost taken away from children
7: yes yeah and and it's also you know i think that first one the first one where no one really knew what was was happening it's you know it was it's fair enough you know and there was it was quite good that um the department for education said look you don't have to um teach the curriculum during this time as well so there was quite a lot of um freedom during that time which was really good and freedom i think underpins play absolutely and creativity um freedom is is you know what um i think we all strive for on on some level and it's what we should be affording our children as well um the 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 later um lockdowns um i think did you know there was there was when we had to then also teach the curriculum etc that was that was um Uh, more challenging however again you know we were able to do our forest school in room 13 and all of the things we've done um, in between lockdowns you know very successfully but um, yeah we've sort of been been through the the mill a bit as as a sector Um, and children in particular have suffered and I I think I was was, was looking at pictures the other day of um, the taped up playgrounds um, you know, the slides and the swings and things, public playgrounds, which children were not allowed to access. And that was um, that was totally unscientific uh, nonsense. In my personal view, I have to make it clear, by the way, that anything I say on this matter is absolutely my view, not not that of my employer, Sussex County Council, or the school <laughs> necessarily course, as a whole. They're, they're, you know, colleagues, even within my own school, have a um, different opinion to mine. And I embrace... Their um, difference of opinion, and most of them embrace mine as well and I think it 's very much a, a, very much a time of needing to be tolerant of different people 's views on things. but my personal view is that children uh, bore the brunt of a lot of the um, the measures that which were brought into place and um, <laughs> it, it, that's, i don 't think that 's acceptable at all, and particularly as the people who were imposing those restrictions were not following them themselves they were having parties so that says it all as far as i'm concerned
1: <laughs> yeah i know and i mean i remember those photos even of children in individual boxes on playgrounds i mean it was
7: it's
1: crazy and
7: this yeah and, 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 yeah, and it, it, the craziness is because um the government have, have told us many many times and the nhs has stated this as well that um, the vast majority of children are at extremely low risk of serious illness from COVID, so they are not the, pe- the ones who um, have um, have needed to have those sorts of restrictions on them. And particularly as that Ofsted report has highlighted regarding lockdowns, you know, if you if you remove children from uh, their peers and social interaction of of uh, any kind. Um, it has an impact on their mental health it has an impact on their physical health um, their social development um, their academic development and you know and it's interesting that we've you know we've now that we're kind of all back as uh, schools should be again um, and we you know there clearly has been a uh, um, uh, there's that they've you know missed for, for all the the best efforts with remote learning and all the rest of it it's not the same as being in the classroom and of course children are um are behind but again i think it is um it's kind of out pretty outrageous that there's still you know you've got to have high expectations got to bring children back up to speed and so on but i do think there's like not a lot of um Acceptance and acknowledgement that we have just been through a pandemic and the children have not been in school. There's like this expectation that kids should be just back to where they were, like now, straight away. And um, I think that's that's uh, that's kind of a bit insane, really. But I mean, having said that, I don't want to be too negative because it's like this is what happens in life, doesn't it? And this, you know, you have your ups and downs and 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 personal challenges and societal challenges. And and again. Going back to the theme of play, that's where play and imagination are absolutely crucial because it's through play that you can, um, not just like children, but adults as well, you can actually um, act out different scenarios before they've happened in the real world. So um, I think, you know, to to embrace imagination, creativity and play as almost um, an antidote to, tr- to difficult and challenging times, but also as a kind of... Um, preparation for the ups and downs of life is is quite essential
1: yeah that's really important sort of the preparation of life and this is what it's all Mm. about and you've talked a lot about sort of the impact of covid and this whole idea that government expects us to catch up and unfortunately, what's happening is, which you know, we we all know, is this whole idea of catch up is putting the pressure on schools, mm. which then narrows our curriculum even more because yes. most schools are focusing on math and English. Yes. So what do you say to schools who are already stretched and want to try to take more risk want to try and create more opportunities for getting outdoors and and doing some of the things that your school does how do they fit that into the curriculum that they already have
7: well I think so uh, I think say so, like with the forest school uh, stuff there was a point where um I was trying to make explicit links to to the curriculum but actually I think it's um it's it's a kind of standalone part of the provision but then it does link very very well with uh with the whole kind of wellbeing agenda um and also um pshe as well so but um you know of course there's um you know you could link it to design technology because you've got like the cooking side of things and the making the tools and all of that kind of stuff and we have created a provision map or no i haven't um Helen Stringfellow, my Forest School leader, has has created a provision map for for um, sorry provision uh, progression document. <laughs> you know this thing that we've all got yeah. to have for every <laughs> single subject. So there is one of those, but it's kind of that's just really because we we need to tick that box. In reality. Um, it's much more profound than that. And, uh, and, you know, when we get children out on the land and so, so go away, if we kind of move away from the, the sort of um, media sort of sensational kind of like um, juicy stuff and just think about like the, the, the weekly experience that children will have out on the lands. There's one of the things they do at the beginning of every single forest school session is something called a sit spot. And that's where they um, sit or lie down on, on the ground and on the earth outside and uh, they are silent for three minutes, and they just use all of their senses to um, become aware of their surroundings. So they'll, you know, they'll feel like the dew on the grass coming through on onto their back, and the, like the, the the smell of the air, and the, they might hear some some of the water birds. Um, in the distance we 're about a mile away from the beach, by the way as well it's really it 's just an incredible environment and what happens is that the children really become embodied and really present and they come out of the sit spot and they 're really um, ready to um, have their um, kind of very immersive experience, which by the way isn 't micromanaged by the adults and isn't um, prescriptive. They choose what they want to do, so they go off and do whatever activity they want to do. Um, but the rewards from that and the the impact it has back in the classroom um, are absolutely incredible. Because what we find is that children are more engaged, they're more um, uh, they're they calmer. Um, there's um, there's a sense the there's, there's kind of overall sense of well being isn't is enhanced and. Um, and and that has an impact on on the rest of the curriculum. So, yeah, I I, I think if schools wanted, you, you any school can do this stuff, and and it's there's there's plenty of room within the timetable to do that. Um, and if you think about, you know, if the if the objective is for children to uh, make improvements with their reading, writing, and maths, well, then you know, if they're in a if they're in a, a great kind of emotional space and a mental space and a physical space, which is Um, uh, you know healthy then clearly that's going to have an impact on their um, academic um, progress as well but I think you have to have somebody at the top of the school who has a passion for learning outside and if it's like say like with the arts as well and creativity then you have to have somebody at the top who's um, passionate about arts and creativity because if somebody isn't doesn't particularly like being outside and isn't really into um, sort of creativity then that's not going to happen in the school it's as simple as that
1: yeah that's amazing and it is it's just about doing it it's about creating that space and I love the fact that you talk about creativity um and I've read your book wild thing and there's so many things I want to talk to you about Mm. but I know that you have to leave um because I know you only had a short space of time to speak. Yeah,
7: we can carry on for a bit because we I came came in late because of Are the techie sure? stuff. So we'll f- just flow for now.
1: Okay, flow. That's another theme mm. that came out in your book is yeah. flow. This idea from the uh, the Hungarian-American psychologist, wasn't it? Yeah, I'm not yes. going to try and pronounce
7: his no, last name. No, no. It's actually, when it's written phonetically, it's quite easy to pronounce it, but I never remember how to pronounce it. And <laughs> to look at that surname, it's like it's, it's got like, endless letters and <laughs> yeah so so anyway he's he, uh, you'd have to google um flow um hungarian psychologist i think to to get his name um but yeah i'm, I'm with you on that one I, I can never remember how to pronounce <laughs> it but but incredible concept that whole which which with play you totally get into so the, the that that vibe that happens when you're really immersed in an activity now for me it's often with writing i love writing and um it feels almost like channeling actually channeling some kind of messages and energy once i'm i'm in this particular state um you can also do it with um uh, physical exercise like so when you go to the gym and things and you're training you go into a state of flow it's often reported by um athletes that they they experience this state which is this state of um euphoria um a sense of timelessness and a sense of connection and children get into that space instantly when they go outside into uh, into a playground and that's what inspired me to write the book actually because I was thinking it's like what is it about that moment when you open the the, the doors to the school playground and the kids all go out there and instantly they're playing aren't they and they're happy and they're inventing yeah. things out of literally thin air it's like there's nothing there can be nothing there at all and they, they, they they've suddenly become different characters which can change within an instant and it's like I just love it I love watching that vibe and and they um they get into that space of flow where they're not thinking about the past and, and the future. They're totally in the present and they're just enjoying themselves. And, um, yeah, it's, a, it's an incredible um, uh, state of consciousness, which I think is also uh, quite... Um, uh, uh, you know, the next level up would be like ecstasy. Um, and, you know, there's quite sort of ethereal kind of levels of different states of consciousness which come from that space. And there's a particular thing that has to happen as well. So there needs to be um, uh, a, a kind of roughly uh, equal balance of um, challenge and um, the skill that you have. So, so you need to be like pushing yourself um, uh, beyond your as well essentially beyond your comfort zone that that little bit to be able to access the the state of, of flow so for example um you know like when you're like training or cycling or swimming or whatever you kind of have that you're not just enjoying that moment you've got to push yourself that little bit as well and then you kind of then it clicks into that kind of state of consciousness which um also relates to something else that we do at the school which is Moving children out of their comfort zones, which again is this um, uh, uh, you can get into kind of quite heightened states of um, uh, elation doing that and in, and and it always reaps incredible incredible rewards in terms of um, you know sort of personal development so so an example of that would be for example um, uh, we do beekeeping at the school we've got bees on the site at the end of the marsh, and children will um, suit up in protective clothing and le- open up the hives with trained beekeepers and um we you know we ha- we'll have children who've um, literally run away from a single bee in the playground and they will be covered in hundreds of them whilst opening up the the hive and when they come out of the experience um you know and they'll they 'll have felt the the fear and they'll have pushed through that kind of like that resistance that initial initial resistance otherwise it wouldn't there wouldn't be uh, it wouldn't be moving out of the comfort zone, so they'll come out of that. And when they they unsuit, and you look at their eyes, their pupils are like massively dilated, and their hairs standing on end, and they they clearly expanded. And it's a it's an expansion which they then carry forward uh, in their lives in all other aspects of their uh, of their existence. So yeah, all of these things I think are are really um, brilliant brilliant tools, uh, which children naturally gravitate towards. Um, I, I'll, I'll say that actually, I've got, so I've got four biological children of my own. I've got um, a 25-year-old um, older son, an 18-year-old boy, and then there's five, uh, sorry, two uh, five-year-old twins. Um, and, um, and, and there's my, my wife, Sandeep Sitara, who's, who's a real advocate of all of this. Um, kind of approach to sort of parenting and education as well and um, the five-year-olds are constantly um, seeking out um, uh, incredibly rich and uh, imaginative and playful things to do so I mean they'll be outside at the moment uh, in my garden now we've got like back onto fields and all sorts of stuff and guaranteed they will be climbing trees right now and, 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 you know, venturing off into the fields and, you know, going into that flow state and, and testing things out and taking risks and using their imagination and letting their imagination navigate and guide them and be the compass with which they, kind of explore the world. And, I, and you know, kids have already got it. They've already got all of this stuff. And I just feel like it's adults and, and society as a whole, which eventually erodes that sense of playfulness and the imagination and you get the unhelpful, um, messages like, Oh, stop daydreaming or, um, curiosity killed the cat or, you know, get your head out of the clouds. And, you know, all of these sort of like sort of probably well-intended adult, uh, messages, but which essentially are, um, quite, um, corrosive for, for our well-being. And, you know, if you think about, um, in its most extreme um, a society which is quite tyrannical um, and you know again, this is my personal view, but I would say um a say a say like a communist regime like you know the Chinese communist party i mean you, know, you have to look to see what's going on with their people at the moment, see you know uh, 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 institutions which are totally about control really do demonize freedom and imagination um and yet um uh, societies um and or even relationships you know within a within a within a, re- a sort of an abusive relationship whether that be in a a, a kind of a, a partnership or within a work context um the 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 abusive person will always be trying to belittle the other person and like erode their imagination and and limit their freedom and you know therefore it's so important that we Embrace and advocate and encourage our children's sense of freedom and their empowerment and their imagination, because it goes way beyond just oh they're having fun. They're, it's 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 um, an essential part of um, of uh, being able to resist that kind of tyranny, whether it's been in a in an individual relationship or on a societal uh, on a societal level. And I think it's each individual being's right to be able to have that kind of existence that freedom and that happiness and that flow and that imagination it shouldn't be the uh, privilege of the few it should be for everyone
1: yeah 100% and I love that whole idea of yeah freedom and creativity and giving Mm. children the freedom to play (laughs) because that's what it's about and and maybe this whole sort of aversion to play maybe we should just label it as creativity because that is what we're developing in our children creativity.
7: yeah I, I would say uh, it, it if you could go right go down to the sort of root of it it's imagination it's imagination yeah. is what um inspires play and imagination I, I've, I've mentioned this in the in the book and the, in my most recent one as well um it, it's at the root of every single significant human uh, development throughout time whether it be the creation of music and the arts or every single scientific breakthrough um, it's that is what underpins healthy relationships it's you know look around the room that you're in at the moment you'll i'm sure there's a table there's chairs there's the building itself every single thing will have started in the imagination of the maker at some point so imagination is not just about um you know imagining fun stuff and playing it's it's what creates absolutely everything within our um, existence so so for our society to flourish and develop we should be celebrating imagination and celebrating play and all of the things which under underpin that including risk taking which is very much part of it um and um uh, yeah all of those sorts of things and 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 within adulthood um they're all there as well you know we if we allow ourselves to just kind of be light-hearted have a playful attitude to life um it you know which is difficult at times because you know there are all times when it, you kind of feel down or like not in the groove and all of that kind of stuff and um that's why I love working with kids actually and that's why I love um being with my own um uh, younger kids as well because you can't you know they they force you into that place don't they you know you've like kids are so brilliant at lifting your spirits through their like lovely kind of playful nature um yeah that's why i like working in schools really
1: yeah they make everything everything better and yeah. absolutely as you say imagination and what kent robinson says is about imagination as a driving force behind everything
7: yes um
1: and absolutely, I could talk to you all day long about this. And there were so yeah. many things I wrote down, which you touched on. And then I, I wanted to ask questions, but this show is never long enough.
7: <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. And um, I'm sorry about the um, techie problem at the beginning. It's um, no, no, no. Because uh, I d- also I dropped my. I've, I've got a pretty old phone. I dropped. Um, uh, I dropped it a few weeks ago, and they, so these. Um, it's got like on the screen these black. Uh, sort of spots so I have to kind of like guess where things are like search searches so you know that like join button thing that was yes. one of the things that was kind of obscured <laughs> by one of these sort of things so so it's a bit of a miracle we got in but it's so lovely uh, of you to invite me and thank you so much no I'm really pleased i've that had this conversation
1: yeah no i've wanted to talk to you for so long and i i'm gonna go back and read your other books but i've read wild thing and if yeah. you haven't read it you need to read it because it's all about sort of embracing childhood traits as an adult yeah.
7: I'll um, tell you as well, There's um, the next one is called Rewilding Childhood, um, and that comes out in July, it's published by Hay House, and that kind of really goes into, I feel like it's my best work yet, it kind of... Um, yeah go quite sort of cosmic really with the whole kind of vibe but um the subtitle of that is um raising resilient children who are adventurous adventurous imaginative and free and um yeah i'm really excited to share that with everyone when that eventually comes out
1: that sounds amazing and that is absolutely what every school should be doing
7: <laughs> yeah
1: So so. amazing. Wonderful. Thank you so much, Mike, for coming on today and talking to us. And I am absolutely going to take you up on that offer of coming to see your school. (laughs) So thank you so much for taking your Saturday and look forward to speaking with you again soon. Okay, I think we... I think he's gone, thank you, Mike. Anyways, (laughs) Um, so a brilliant show today. It's come to an end really, really, really quickly. And it's a shame because we could have talked about so many different aspects. We've been talking about imagination, creativity, which are fundamental to play, but to fundamental to human development, which is what we've been talking about. And we could talk and talk and talk, and I wanted to talk more to Mike about this idea of the comfort zone, because he talks a lot about it in Wild Thing, and it's clearly a part of the ethos of his school Um, and the idea that he talks about of the relative anxiety and then talking about optimal anxiety which is just beyond your comfort zone. And I was really interested in that. So do go and read Wild Thing. Um, It's a brilliant book. And I think that's kind of a theme that's come through on this show today. um, That actually, as adults, we need to embrace more play. We need to think about how are we developing creativity and imagination, not just in our children, but in the adults in us. And I think that's a really, really key thing we can take out of this because it keeps us young. And what Mike has in his book as well, um, a quote by George Bernard Shaw, we don't stop playing because we grow old. We grow old because we stop playing. I think there is a lot that we can learn in that quote. And I think that is definitely a theme that's come through this show today. So, so much more we can talk about play, but schools, you need to start thinking about the res- risks you're taking. How can you build in more risk taking to develop that imagination, to develop creativity, not just in our youngest children? but in our older children, in our adults that work within our schools, um, so much within that. Okay, so thank you all so much for joining me on the Saturday Brent Show with Flora Cooper and join Maria Keller tonight with her guest Haley Hughes, who are talking about mentorship. So that should be exciting. So do tune in for that. Thanks again everyone. Have a great bank holiday weekend and until next time, Take care and shine on.
0: You've been listening to Teachers Talk Radio. Tune in live and listen back at ttradio.org. We look forward to hearing from you next time on Teachers Talk Radio.